The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny. Only NFL podcast one of the hosts thinks a swim move is when you doggy paddle. That's Lenny. Mina Kimes. I'm joined today by a first time guest. And probably, I, I was like, oh, Doug's had to have been on my podcast. I don't think you've ever been on my podcast, Doug Farrar. I would have remembered. But no, That's I'm not. That's good to this hear. Is, it, it's, it's a great honor to be here, and I'm excited to talk about half of the NFC West. Um, you can check. <laughs> we're going to talk about the whole NFC West. The NFC the West, is, NFC West. We're going to do it. So uh, Cardinals fans do not despair. I actually think the Cardinals are really interesting, uh, but yeah. you kind of have to discuss them more as a concept than team right now. Um, there's, and when I was thinking through it, the more I thought through it and the Rams to a lesser, maybe more confusing extent, um, the more I did actually want to talk to you about it because I think they're at such a unique juncture. They have so many strange decisions and interesting choices to make. They are a team for whom the parameters of success are very different from the uh, San Francisco 49ers and Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the Rams are, I, that is another one we got to puzzle out. I should say, uh, Doug, you got, for you guys who haven't read Doug's work, uh, he is the editor of Touchdown Wire, does fantastic stuff. He also has a great uh, newish podcast with Greg Cassell. New-ish. Right, it's newish, yeah. Um, About three months. We're enjoying that. Greg is, you know, Greg from NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. I've known Greg for fifteen years. He's taught me more about football than anyone else. And he's great. We get to chop it up. It's just the best. I listened to a bunch of episodes while I was um, cleaning out my basement the other day, and he is such a fun listen. He is a, a, a curmudgeon in the best sense. Um, yes. with, but curmudgeon who has very, um, modern ideas about football, which is a, a terrific yes. combination, but not always. We're going to do that as full endorsement, by the way. I listened to these while cleaning up my basement. <laughs> you That's could also go with a curmudgeon with modern ideas, which I feel like someone should yes. run for president on that platform. They might win. Um, okay. Someone We're going to get into it. NFC West. Finally. I'm pumped. Um, Woo-hoo, sort of. I actually am. Uh, let's start with the Niners. Let's start with the obvious, the the big dogs. Still an interesting team. The Niners, who are universally regarded as having one of the best rosters in the NFL, despite the fact that there are still question marks at quarterback. Though I would contend they have made it pretty clear from top to bottom that they want Brock Purdy to be the starting quarterback. So the question mark is who's QB2 between Sam Darnold and Trey Lance. What are you going to do with Trey Lance? Do you trade Trey Lance? There, there are there are questions hanging over this. I am living uh, for the daily updates, though, from Niners camp. Ooh, Brock Purdy looked rusty, and Trey Lance went 8 for 12 or whatever. I Doug, it seems like Purdy's pretty locked in as starter. I would be pretty shocked at this point. Um and I guess, yeah, I, 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 well, before we get to the Purdy of it all and the actual football team, I do want to hit Lance for a second. If Purdy is the starter and if Sam Darnold were to beat Trey Lance out for the job, do you think they should have traded him? I mean, is that hubris for a team that was down to QB seven in the playoffs or like, I mean, I guess they didn't get good off. Should they trade is kind of contingent upon whether or not you get any offers for the player. But how do you think that they've handled this whole thing? And how would you proceed if you were San Francisco as you look at the depth chart? 
if I were San Francisco, well, this is where I get to hit you with my <laughs> Trey Lance organizational philosophy schism theory. Okay. I think Trey Lance was a major, major, it's like if you completely change your golf swing and you go out on the course and like, yeah, this will mm. work. And you're just hitting, you know, hitting into the trees over here and you break a window and it goes in the water. You know this, mean If you go back through Kyle Shanahan's history, it's not like he wants a guy to color outside the lines. He wants oh. someone with whom he can just take all that genius and put it into his head. And it's not a robot. You can, I mean, you can color outside the structure a little bit, but really that structure is so damn good. Why mess with it? Yeah. I think what happened with Trey Lance, and I don't know how much it was Kyle and how much it was John Lynch. I think they said, this is our opportunity to get a guy with all the physical tools in the world. I mean, his good tape reminded me of Steve McNair. And then the bad tape in the bowl game when, you know, he was seeing weird stuff and he was just kind of, mm, I don't know. But I, I think they saw him as this raw clay that Kyle could mold in a way that he's never really been able to and had to with any other quarterback because most of his guys, I mean – the phrase system quarterback is pejorative, but that's really what he's wanted historically. Yeah. And I think with Lance, it, there was too much of a, a gap between his rawness and what Kyle wants his, what he needs his quarterback to do. Um, it really isn't, you know, outside the lines to make up for whatever receiver we don't have or whatever scheme we don't have. I mean, he is the best disruptor of defenses of his era. The guy is an yeah. absolute genius. I think they took a big swing on Trey Lance thinking, well, what if, and it's a really appealing idea, what if we could elevate Kyle Shanahan's offense with this guy who can do physically everything? And I think when it didn't work the way they wanted it to, Kyle kind of went, mm, I'm not sure about this. And hmm. let's, you know, let's bring Brock Purdy up. And now all of a sudden, Sam Darnold is the guy. And that actually <laughs> makes a ton of sense because Sam Darnold is mobile enough to do all the yeah. stuff. He's got just enough of an arm to make why throwback happen. And he will play in the system. And they will fix his yeah. mechanical issues. His upper and lower body disagree a lot. I mean, that's always been the case since his days at USC. But I, I think in the end, it won't work with Lance because they gave Lance a little window. Fair or not, he didn't hit it. And now... Mm -hmm. Shanahan's a like, very mm, little window we should by the way i want to i want to do some no, apology very, for like we're well, talking like one game in a, in a rainstorm yeah. like the dude barely is played yeah. um but yeah i i, well, I, mean, I, I want to emphasize fair or not we don't know what's happening in practice we're right. not we don't we're the That's meeting rooms and i'm not the great unknown. i'm not saying anything positive about Lance because i don't know i don't know either all i know and, is what i've seen in the field i, I talked to a Dakota State, they yeah. vouched for it, but of course they're going to. They want Trey Lance to succeed because they may have NFL aspirations. That's why I rarely listen to college coaches when they talk about their draft prospects because who knows. But yeah. my, my theory is the Trey Lance window has closed. Fair or not, it's over. And they will trade him. And they will probably trade him before the deadline. Because this is, this is what they thought they wanted, but in the end... Mm -hmm. Kyle Shanahan wants a distiller of his offensive so, philosophy. So, and that's not what Trey Lance. Is. I think um, 
I've, I've said a million times I'm not really going to weigh in on Lance because I just I am not going to weigh in a football player I have not seen play football. Like, I'm not going to say they should have done this because they don't have a chance, whatever. Um, and I do think with the trade stuff, it if they I do believe if they had if compelling offers were in the offing, and I, by compelling, I mean, I don't know, like a second or something, probably should have done it would be my, what I would say. But we again, we don't know what was even possible. We know people have left that organization for... Minnesota, Tennessee, and have not tried to trade for, or to the best of our knowledge, not tried to trade for him. So, you know, I kind of see they're going to keep him around this year. Um, and obviously, given some of the injury history, you know, keep him around as insurance and we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, it's a well, crazy... Well, there's also the burn of... How long does the burn of what they gave up for him? How long does that burn Well, it, we never talk about it. Over? It's so wild that... It, like, they gave up so much for him, but because they've been so successful for a litany of reasons, which we can now transition to as we actually talk about the team, uh, nobody ever talks about it. It's uh, the ultimate deodorant mm. being success because if there was, was like any other organization to give up what they did and, and to be in this position would be seen as not just seen as, but talked about as like a wild mistake, but it doesn't matter because it's Kyle Shanahan. He's not, brilliant. Not fireable, and I would, in a lot of rooms, that's not fireable. Yeah. If you don't have the chits yeah. to get away with that, that's not fireable, but it's close. And, um, and you, you talked earlier about how the vision for the pivot was that, okay, what if we had a quarterback who could elevate this beautiful machine that Kyle Shanahan builds? Um, and ultimately, I think what they found was, okay, but forget the quarterback. What if we have the greatest group of skill players in the NFL? And it's funny because like the trade for, I think they are the best group when you go one, two, three, four, five. The uh, trade for McCaffrey was massive. I think I forgot how much they gave up for him at the time. Um, but it was a, it, it's, it's not obviously not as much as what they gave up for Trey Lance, but it was a big haul. And unlike yes. that trade, it clearly worked. Something I've talked a lot about is the impact that, uh, Christian McCaffrey had on this offense. And I think that before we get to Brock Purdy and who he is and, and why they like him and whether it works. I think um, that's sort of why everyone assumes this offense is going to be okay because it, it really doesn't seem to matter, frankly, uh, how good the quarterback play is. You know, we've seen all of the numbers in terms of um, how open guys are, the yards after the catch. But, you know, what, what really sure. jumps out to me, just when you look at the splits before and after the McCaffrey trade, because I was kind of playing with different – because after the McCaffrey trade, so basically weeks weeks one through eight, San Francisco was not a great offense. And then after them, with both Garoppolo and Purdy, they became this unstoppable death star uh, mm -hmm. of an offense. And all their numbers went up. They're first in just about – everything. Um, but I think, and, and there's a lot of ways you can kind of capture the McCaffrey impact, which is kind of interesting as we talk about running backs and, and all of this writ large. But I think the the most, um, yeah, right. Uh, the most notable thing, or I think the thing that is perhaps the most responsible for that, that seismic shift in efficiency that we saw 
in this offense. You know, it's not like suddenly they were this like unstoppable running team that they weren't before or anything like that. No, it is because his presence on the field, Doug, completely changed the way defenses played them. And and the, the number I want to go to, and this is one that just before the McCaffrey trade, the San Francisco 49ers faced man coverage just 36% of the time. That was 31st in the NFL. Afterwards, that number jumped to 48.4, which was the fifth most. And they were just, and and if there's one thing Kyle Shannon could do, it is obliterate man coverage. And they were, you know, they had 0.22 EPA for man coverage, something ton of stacked boxes because defenses looked at this 21 personnel. They looked at, a Niners team that had McCaffrey and was, you know, using him in just about every way. And they were like, geez, like, okay, <laughs> like, what are we going to do? Like, we can't, we can't sit back in zone and let this team just no. op- option. Like, so they were able to get the, like every look they wanted from that point on in the season. And then regardless of who was playing quarterback, it was cookies. That's, that's, I mean, that's yeah. kind of how I see it. Well, the thing about McCaffrey, I mean, there's a lot to go over there. Kyle Shanahan has always been sick with running backs. I wonder where he got that from. Hmm, maybe his dad. Um, do you know, you probably know, because you have all these services too. Do you know who had among running backs, uh, anyone turned to a running back, the most snaps outside as a receiver in the NFL last year? Wait, amongst running backs? Amongst running backs. The most uh, and, outside, not in the slot, not in the inside. Yeah, slot, yeah, yeah. Not back, but like outside as an X or a Z. I wouldn't think it's it's not probably not McCaffrey. Nope. Who is it? Kyle used to. Kyle oh used to. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know how many targets he had? Two. Remember Patrick DeMarco for the 2016 Falcons, where the, he was lining up outside all the time to to take that corner off, and they never threw him the ball but he was there as a space creator and a disruptor. I was talking to your colleague, Dan Orlovsky about three years ago for an article I did on pre-snap motion. And Dan brought this up to me and I thought it was really brilliant. Um, he said, there's motion to indicate and there's motion to disrupt. Mm-hmm. Indicator is you got a rookie, you know, yeah. your quarterback is Des- Desmond Ritter. He wants to know if it's man or zone. Tom Brady doesn't need that. <laughs> you know, so motion to disrupt is I'm going to put this guy over here because I see what you're doing. And it's the quarterback's call to say, okay, we're going to motion here because they're flipping their safeties. Another thing that pre-snap motion does is if you want to flip your safeties pre and post snap, motion kind of eliminates that because now all of a sudden you don't just have to do your little ballet back there in the deep third. You have to figure out where the hell Debo Debo Samuel is now because now he's not there. He's over there and my safety's over here. He's playing robber and Debo's about to run a, you know, 15 yard out and there's no one to cover him. So Kyle has a great, way series of ways of doing that of of creating open space against a defense he will carve your defense up whatever voids you have he will find them and he will demolish them you were talking about the cosell podcast um we the last one we did which went up uh yesterday actually this morning was about how running backs can matter more we didn't want to you know want to try to elevate the discussion and i posited that mccaffrey is the ideal version of the running back of the future because yes he can power run yes he can block yes he can and we're we're talking legitimate receiver routes here it's it's marshall falcus Le'Veon bell it's it's mccaffrey's kind of the new guy 
This isn't, you know, a, even if it's a 40 yard wheel route, it's still a wheel route. If it's a, you know, swing, screen, glance, whatever. Christian McCaffrey can torch you with legitimate receiver routes. So as you said, and what I'm kind of getting back to is what you said, the overall impact of McCaffrey on that offense. And this isn't them taking a big swing on Trey Lance. Kyle Shanahan is an expert, probably the best coach in the league at identifying what each running back does and how can I best exploit those skills. He has never had anyone like McCaffrey. Never had anyone totally, completely do everything. So that, that was the difference to me about McCaffrey. It was the perfect combination of do-everything player and just sick, evil genius with the play sheet. And but, it, that's why it worked. And it's such a um, – it really helped this Niners offense develop or I guess um, make the most of their counterpunches to all the things defense has done defense have done over the last year in terms of stopping the outside zone running attack, the play action passing attack, the things we historically associated with the San Francisco 49ers under Kyle Shanahan and have, you know, over the last couple of years, defenses, you know, I've talked about this a lot. Defenses have gotten better at playing them with their fronts and some of the coverage stuff. You talked about the safety rotations and all of that. I mean, so Kyle Shanahan's like, okay, great. We're not even gonna. We're not gonna. Well, we're going back to run. We're gonna run. We're tight. So you know, inside and outside zone, we're we're finding ways to stop that. And he's saying, "Fine, I don't need a a play action passing attack based off of an outside zone run game. I'm just gonna option you to death with Christian McCaffrey, and that's gonna create space for Debo Samuel. And we're gonna have a power running game because we have two running backs on the field and a fullback at all times and a tight end is a better blocker in the NFL. And we're going to just punch you in the mouth over and over. Um, yeah. It's you mentioned, that, uh, you mentioned Kittle is a blocker and he is the best blocking. He's like the new Gronkowski. That it's such an, a, a valuable, well as receiving and you know what he does to create his own space. That blocking ability is so valuable and so undersold. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I'm in some, not worried about the San Francisco 49ers offense. I will I, I will say I do think if Mc, there's two players they cannot afford to lose. One is Trent Williams because tackle depth is a, a, a real issue on this team. Colton McKivitz has... been the best has, tackle in the NFL for at least the last he, two years. He's one of the best tackles, but also yeah. the depth is not great. The right tackle now this year no. is Colton McKivitz. There's an assumption things will be okay. They figured it out on the interior of their offensive line. But if Williams were to go out for any period of time, that would be a massive problem. And then I would say Christian McCaffrey yeah, is the – wasn't a huge McClinchy guy, but losing him, yeah, it's not uh, And then I would say McCaffrey is the other most important player. I think losing him is more important than if they were to lose any of the other skill players or Brock Purdy. Who? And, and then we can kind of uh, finally get to the Purdy of it all. Um, Plus, Christian McCaffrey can play quarterback. What else, what, Christian McCaffrey can play quarterback. Uh, pretty, yeah. pretty was fine. I, 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 I think I probably ranked him a little bit too low when I did QB rankings, but it was kind of like ah, you know, small sample size ish. What do we know? Um, and you know, I went back and watched this the wild card game, which was maybe mm-hmm. unfair to Brock Purdy because that was probably his worst game. It was the Seahawks game. The first half, yeah. he was really bad. Um, and I still think I, I, when you watch him, and he was better in the second half, you can absolutely see why Shanahan likes him in terms of, um, you know, just hanging in the pocket, throwing over the middle of the field, setting up guys to get yards after the catch. And then that little extra bit of playmaking sauce that Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have. 
But, um, you know, I do think his arm is limited. I do think his size kind of cropped up a little bit near the end there as being an issue. And he did bail a little bit. And But again, that he was thrust into game action, nothing, you know. So, like, there's a chance he could – and obviously he's coming off of the serious injury. But there's a chance that he could be better this year. Um, probably not statistically. That would be very, very difficult. But – uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a. I, I think I'm. I wouldn't describe myself as a Purdy skeptic. I'm a skeptic of the idea that he is what the stats were, but that's every Kelsey quarterback. Uh, but uh, I think he's more than enough for this Niners offense, and I understand why they're going with him. Is that damning with faint praise? No, um, I'm actually. I think it was around the end of the season when I went back and watched Purdy's Iowa State tape. I watched a lot of it. And I know, you know, I'd read various things about how he had, you know, worked with a performance coach with the Niners staff and all that. <laughs> you watch the Iowa State tape, this guy, I mean, you understand why he was Mr. Irrelevant. He couldn't move in the pocket. He was a sitting duck. He had a decent arm. Mechanically, he got his mechanics together. His lower and upper body were integrated, and that allowed him to get more arm strength and, and Shanahan mentioned that more than once in season in, in kind of a nice coach speak way. Like he has the arm. Jimmy really doesn't. And you know this with Garoppolo, when the middle of the field is closed, it is closed. The books are closed. He was able to see and then execute the game plan better than Garoppolo was in a lot of ways. The thing that has me interested, I'm not saying excited about like, Oh my God, it's like if, we, if Justin Fields breaks out, but the thing that has me interested in Purdy's development and how far he can go is the, the the extent to which he took steps, major steps, obvious steps. Like you could not superimpose the Iowa State kid halfway through the season and the guy who was playing in the NFL. You It would be hard to compare them. If you just told someone, take the numbers off, this is one guy, this is the other guy, they're the same guy. You'd be like, no. So that's why I'm intrigued about his future. Because, you know, and maybe that's a ceiling and that's okay. Maybe he's a career backup spot starter kind of guy and sure. Um, but if there's more there, I think he's proven that he can pull it out. And, he can, yeah. you know, and maybe, you know, yes, they are intrigued by Darnold, but there's something, and it's not really an ego thing, but they, they invested a lot of work in this guy and they gave him a chance. And he, I think, performed and responded better than anyone could have expected. And again, they know a lot better than I do the difference between the, the Iowa State guy and the Niners guy. They know that a lot better than I do because they're with them every day and they, you know, they they help create this. So I don't, you know, if there's, and again, not to disparage Trey Lance because I don't know. We don't know. But if they have more, quote unquote, faith in Brock Purdy at this point than in Trey Lance, maybe that's because of what Purdy has demonstrated. And it's not, you know, the, where the upside is on the, on the it, chart, I don't know. But I think based on his college tape, based yeah. on his first season, you can talk about people being open. He wasn't always playing on easy mode. I mean, he had to make some, he had to make some stuff happen, and he did. And so when I think about Purdy, I go back to, and I, I'm laughing at some of the the Iowa State stuff. Like, this is not yeah, the same guy. That's, I, and the I, fact I, I that he came with that quickly, and nobody expected him to start. Anyone in that building tells you they expect him to be the starter at any point that they're lying. So I didn't watch him in college. That's what I'm hearing that's what I'm you say at. that he had like, you know, he wasn't a mover is 
I mean, he he looks he he's looks good moving to me. Um, uh, at times, I I think he did, with well, the size, just he got a lot of and, extemporaneous movement stuff out of his system, and he became just more efficient with his body. Yeah, and that I think he'll be better this year. I think what something he was there were a few moments, not just in Seattle game or whatever, but where I was like, oh, you are a half a second from getting obliterated little fella. But like, I think that's the thing again, he, you know, as he got kind of used to NFL game speed and size, an area where I think he could be even better this season. Um, yeah. I, I, he showed enough. I don't know. Like I get it. I, I, I the best. And, and, and when we talk about Kyle Shanahan and, and guys being and guys being wide open, I think it's an important thing to say. That doesn't mean when I when I bring that up and when I say they're all fake stats because they are, that what my point is not that like Brock Purdy for example wasn't good, it's that he wasn't the best quarterback who ever lived, which is what the stats would suggest. Like that's that's the Kyle Shanahan effect. It's it it, it makes it, you can go look at Jimmy Garoppolo's stats; they're insane. They're historically great stats, you know, but they don't jive with what we see with our eyes. But so I think. It, it doesn't necessarily right. mean that anyone can do it or that the quarterback is just mood or and not good. It just, it just is like, you know, it's like pouring gasoline onto like a fire. Like it's just, it's insane. It's, it's juicing, I guess. Um, and it's great. Niners, you fans, you should be very happy. Yeah, He's your coach. The clock, very good. the clock could be a little faster, but given where he came from, yeah, <laughs> given what he did, I'm okay. That's well. That's that's on one that. area where I think I like I, I you know I mentioned earlier the one concern I had outside of McCaffrey injury would be an offensive line injury. I'd be more concerned about the offensive line getting in front, hurt in front of him than Jimmy Garoppolo because he does mm -hmm. hold on to the football a little bit longer. He does more things after three seconds than Jimmy Garoppolo did with the football. But I think pass protection does matter a little bit more because of that. Um, so that that would be like the one you know little tiny. Concern. Um, and I guess you can kind of play the same game with the defense because you're really, it's like, okay, what, what nits can we pick with this uh, terrifying unit? I think there are some, there are some questions. I think let's start here because let's start from the uh, place of this unit is awesome. I didn't end a, a defensive pod. I had them obviously at the top. I'd say between them and Dallas, it's pretty neck and neck for me. But uh, I think I have, three questions about the Snyder's defense, which is awesome. One, who's going to rush the passer opposite Nick Bosa. They have had guys walk out the door. Now they also brought in Javon Hargrave on the inside. Uh, and it's Chris Kasurik. So he seems to turn, you know, any, uh, let's see who's the latest to join. Well, Cleveland Farrell's on the inside, but, um, I think it would be Drake Johnson is probably the guy they want to step up who yeah. was, you know, an earliest draft pick. But that that's question number one. Mm -hmm. Question number two, D'Amico Ryan's gone. That's a big deal. One of the better. That, uh, that's, me. that's question number one to me. Okay. But, well, let's yeah. start with there, but and then I'll get to the, my third thing. My third thing. Don't love the cornerback depth. Don't love it. It never seems to matter uh, that they do occasionally give up big plays. Um, you know, and I think that was reflected last year. I was just looking at their DVOA on different levels. I think they did give up a fair amount of deep plays. Doesn't usually matter because of how good the defense is up front, how dominant the front seven is, and also Traverius Ward was amazing, and the safeties are still good. 
Quarterback depth, though, is a question mark. Let's start with D'Amico Ryan. So how do you feel? So D'Amico is gone. Steve Wilkes is in. Um, Is this one of those things where it's kind of like, dude, just don't mess with it? Uh, We know the right defense to call with Mm. these guys. How do you feel like D'Amico's loss will be felt? Well... And you know this being a Seahawks fan, with the LOB, it wasn't, oh, my God, we're doing so much tricky stuff. It was cover three, cover one, rule six, low quarters. You know exactly what's coming. Try and deal with it because we've got, like, five Hall of Famers. The idea then was, and, you know, from, you know, Gus and Quinn and Richard, they they would do different things during the peak of what was one of the best, four or five best defenses of all time. But it really was, don't mess with it. I don't know that the Niners can really afford to do that. I think with D'Amico Ryans, that was another combination of coach and series of players where everything just aligned. When you watch that defense, and they didn't blitz a lot. They didn't do the switches, heavy quarters. They, you knew what they were, but everything was just so aligned. It didn't matter that the corners were okay. But when you look at, I mean... Mina, when I did my list of top 11 safeties, Tayshawn Gibson made the list. Yeah. When I look at offensive or defensive coordinators, and this especially works for me on defense, one thing I want to see is guys coming up with career years. Out of, like, who the heck? So a Tayshawn Gibson, who's been around for a while, I think he had made one Pro Bowl, but he never played like he did. You know, Hufanga, the way he came up. Uh, D'Amador Lenoir, who's Pennsylvania's left cornerback right now, underrated guy. You know, for Dre Greenlaw to become, he would be the LB1 on half the teams in the NFL. So I think what Wilkes has to, and this isn't to say that it's a brain drain or whatever. I mean, D'Amico Ryans was just a special defensive coordinator, and he has the player alignment attributes that I think will make him a great head coach as well. I think Wilkes might be tempted because through his career, he's been sort of variable. He's not like, I'm going to play light box cover six all the time, no matter what. Even Vic Fangio doesn't do that. He played a much more man in Denver once he got Patrick Sertan because, duh. Um, so I think you could see more switches, more 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 ways to create pressure because, as you said, yeah. who's doing it opposite Rosa? Um, talk about guys you can't afford to lose. Huh. Um yeah. So I think you could see more interesting, tricky stuff. I wouldn't go too far with it, but I, I think you could see Wilkes come in and say, okay, we've got some things here. We've got some things there. It's very difficult to recreate that sort of chemical perfection that Ryan seemed to have with that defense. Um, yeah, uh, because Wilkes he's got has- a lot of those guys up too. So now it's different. Wilkes has alluded to blitzing a little bit more. So I kind of – I. Uh, Tried to see what his comments have been since joining, just to see, try to read the tea leaves and see if there's any changes. And because to your point, he's been pretty varied. I mean, he has blitzed a lot more than the Niners have blitzed over the last couple of years. He has, his defenses have played more man coverage than the Niners have. But again, I, I, you, when you walk in and you see this group of killers, and they are killers, I think Mm -hmm. that's what's so important. Like, at a moment, you know, I, I think D'Amico was really good at varying up some game plans. I really liked the way he timed certain blitzes and big moments. I always thought he was really good at that. But make no mistake, like the, the the biggest 
success, I think, when we think about him as a coach of this unit, is how hard they played, how fast they rallied to the football. How it was, li- it is like was like watching like a group of piranhas swarming blood in the water every time. And they don't make mistakes at that. And they speed. don't make mistakes. Yeah. Um, how fun it was at that speed is just. By the way, Javon Hargrave last year had 34 snaps on the edge. Had. Uh, one sack and one hurry and two quarterback hits. So, so I think uh, for Wilkes, yeah, it's the challenge is like, okay, like like you said, what you know, maybe I mix up the pressures a little bit more. Um, you know, they drafted Jair Brown safety at a Penn State. Maybe we see more three safety look. I don't know. Like I, you know, we'll see. Because sure. um, Wilkes' background is, is sorry. So, no, just real quick, uh, I, I apologize for interrupting. Um, they ran; they were the best overload blitz team in the mm. NFL last year. When they did blitz, it was three guys to one side, and it was over. <laughs> it was over. So that's the one way in which they blitz. You'll see more of that. But I think you'd see more stunts, some more interesting yeah. twists, some more games at the line to, you know, because they're not, I mean, they're not going to go five-man front. It's going to be four on the floor like it always is. But you, you could see a few more, you know, changes. Uh, you know, I think uh, I was gonna say Wilkes's background is coaching DBs, so I think that's something where his impact could be had on this defense. D'Amico is obviously linebacker, so maybe he can get. You talked about Lenoir. You know, he's up and down a little bit, so maybe he takes another step. Isaiah Oliver is in the slot since moving to the slot uh, in Atlanta. He has improved, so maybe he continues that trajectory. It's all on the back end, but honestly, come on. Like, this is an all-star team. I don't have, you know, if you lose Bosa or Warner, it's a different conversation. But, of course, it is. They're two best players in the NFL. So, yeah. every that's team, the San every Francisco 49ers. Yeah, Only that's, every derailed team. by injuries to superstars is kind of where we are right now. Uh, McCaffrey, uh, Bosa, Warner, I guess losing Kittle would hurt, you know, I, but it's, that's, that's where we are with the Niners. Okay. The Rams. Let's talk about the Rams. This will be clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Of note, <laughs> Cooper cup hurt, uh, some kind of hamstring thing, but they're being kind of vague about it. Uh, at the moment, not seeing any reports about him missing time in the season, but they're playing it cautiously. Uh, I think what's so complicated about the Rams is, you could paint a picture of the de- the offense being good. You cannot. It's a bit much harder to paint that picture with the defense. So it's not like the Cardinals where it's like, obviously this team is, you know, tank rebuilding, whatever. We'll get to that. There's kind of like it, it like this offense could be okay. Cause you get Stafford back. You will ideally get Cooper cup back. Hopefully the offensive line will be healthier than they were last year. Um, and then of course you have Sean McVay. So all those pieces are in place. I will say, even if everyone plays, the offensive line remains a pretty significant concern to me. And it's arguably been like the downfall of this team. And it was even before Stafford got hurt. Cause you know, he played the first eight weeks of the season. Uh, he was just getting absolutely, I don't know if you remember wrecked out there. Crushed. Uh, he had a pressure to sack rate. I looked this up of uh, 32%. <laughs> And I think that probably best captures 
They just haven't been able to get the run game going since, well, it feels like it's been years now. Um, Akers is back. They got Kyron Williams, who they drafted a couple of years ago. Do you have any optimism for this offense, assuming, of course, that Stafford and Cup are healthy? I think, well, the offensive line is a problem. I was watching Stafford this morning, and I was watching specifically his explosive attempts, his big play attempts. And I think one big problem, especially when Cup was hurt, um, I, don't, I don't remember exactly how much those two sliding doors. Things it was like a couple weeks later, out. I think maybe I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Um, but in any case, and you know, this happens, the offensive line can be a problem, but if your receivers can't separate, you can have the 1974 Oakland Raiders, which had four hall of famers and Dave Dalby. Um, and doesn't matter. And, Outside a cup, those guys could not. Stafford was in part getting his brains beaten in, especially on intermediate and deep passes, because those guys could not separate. I mean, he yeah. was throwing into closed close windows. They close windows. Um, what I saw from Stafford as a deep passer, it, it's still beautiful. I mean, he is when healthy, when he's got time, he's every bit the quarterback he's ever been. Just a gorgeous god. Like wow, this deep ball. Um, repeatable mechanics under pressure or not, just there it goes. He knows where it's going. And he had a couple. It's not like Kyler Murray's explosive play issues, which we'll get to, which are legion, bad. Um, that's a serious regression. We Russell Wilson was so bad, Murray got hurt. We didn't talk as much about Murray's regression, but it's there. Um, the optimism is the offensive line stays together. I like Steve Avila. Um He's got a few issues with agility. The guard they drafted like this year. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. Um, you know, Note Boom's okay. Havenstein's a veteran. It, it, you know, that's okay. The run game is okay. And, and McVeigh will scheme that up. I think if Cup is there and Stafford can stay healthy, there's they've got a chance to be good. I don't know if there's anything else to be said for the offense. And the defense, I mean, they've we'll got, get to the defense. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so my, uh, my optimism is everyone stays healthy and Stafford is Stafford and Cup is Cup, and that and everything else sort of coalesces around that. And they're, I don't know, 15th to 12th in offensive DVOA, maybe they're top 10 pass, top 25 run, and it's decent. And after that many years of F them picks, and you, you know, you swung on these things and you, you, Nailed some, you missed some others. Yeah. I, Stafford was a hit. Um, I'm, I'm not as big a Jalen Ramsey person as a lot of other people are, so I'm not sure about that one. But, you know, you, it was like the five years the Seahawks just drafted horribly. It takes a minute to make up for that. Now, whether you're drafting horribly or you're sort of not drafting top at all, <clears throat> one of the reasons the Rams won the Super Bowl a few years ago was the guys they drafted from the third round down. Yeah, you who know, are just Gaines not not on this roster anymore. So many and Darius yeah. Williams, people like that, who they just brought in right. low. Well, Nick low Scott ball. in the Super Bowl. Jordan Fuller, who is on the roster, we'll get to right. the defense. But yeah, the, I, I, I share I share your kind of where you're projecting this offense again. We're assuming in this projection that Stafford and Cup are healthy. If Cup is out, good night. It's over. Obviously, if Stafford's out, we're talking about Stetson Bennett. Stafford won't last. I just he won't last a month. Will that will that guy's separate? And your point about the receivers not—I mean, it's 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 a tough group after Cup. You have Van Jefferson, who's kind of just been up and down. You know, he was an earlier draft pick. Ben Skoranek, who was their de facto fullback for a while there. 
I mean, Tutu Atwell, uh, you know, on a per target basis did some stuff last year, but we're talking about 18 catches in 13 games over 16 yards per catch. But uh, yeah, the, he was another, I think it was a second rounder, if I remember correctly, or third, I think second. Anyway, he's a little, little fast guy. Uh, I just, I, I, the run game's just been an issue for now uh, quite some time. And we talked at the top about how if San Francisco has been able to solve, you know, once defenses solved the, not solved, but got so much better at playing the outside zone running game, you saw all the different Shanahan McVay offenses try to come up with variations on how to counter it. And San Francisco clearly did, you know, and, the Rams kind of just, it's, it's, they've tried a lot of different, they've thrown a lot of different things at the wall. Um, and in their defense, I think a lot of those things have been stalled by offensive line injuries, which has been just devastating for this team, sure. but also injuries to the running backs, Akers, you know, uh, uh, Daryl Henderson never really took off for them. But when I look at this group and I'm like, okay, can they get their run back? Because the first half of the season before Stafford got hurt, it, it was a really, really bad run game. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I just don't know how they're going to run the football. Um, the offensive line would have to take a really big step forward. Or, you know, maybe Sean McVay cooks up something different from what we've seen. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what he does. Um, because, you know, the last – the. The full season of Stafford, the Super Bowl season, was this great evolution in the Sean McVay offense where they went all away from what he did, you know, more empty, became more of a, you know, it st- had Stafford in the gun, all of that. And now I kind of want to see, okay, you know, if, if, if you're bringing these guys back, young offensive line, what can you, what's your next move as a play caller? I'm very interested in seeing that. Um, is there a next move, you know, know, with this group? I don't know. Well, that's, you know, um, not to impugn McVeigh, who's obviously a brilliant coach. I, th- I think that their history as head coaches, Kyle Shanahan has had a lot more next moves than Sean McVeigh has had. I think there are times, and I don't like to use this term, but I think there are times the NFL has kind of figured McVeigh out for a little bit, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not always sure how he counters. It's tricky because so many of those moments have coincided with the absolute implosions of their offensive line. Uh, And I mean, the Rams are exhibit a for offensive line play matters, which is why, you know, I mentioned this after the draft Avila was their highest draft pick since Jared Goff. Like this team was hell bent on improving that line and any improvement. I think that starts there. Um, Well, I go back to like, yeah. When, uh, I think Brandon Staley was Vic Fangio's defensive line coach in Chicago when the Bears just beat the pants off them that year. They, I think it was the year they lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. But the Lions figured them out. The, I think it was the Matt Patricia Lions who had that offense dead to rights yeah. the week before. And it took a while for them to sort of, I don't know. I'm not saying McVay is a one-dimensional coach. That would make me sound like even more of an idiot than I am. But I it's been my observation that Kyle has more get out of jail free cards than, and that's a very high bar because he has more get out of jail free cards than anyone in the NFL right now, schematically and yeah. conceptually. Um, and he's do I think players. that Sean McVay um, can coach this team three or four stories above where it is personnel wise, talent wise? Yeah. But I don't know what that looks like. Uh. We don't have to spend much time talking about this defense. I'll just read 
I mean, <laughs> I know all I like these guys Jones. are. From you know what Oregon. I love is Trey Hodges Tomlinson. Yeah, I love. Which player Ernest do you Jones. love? Trey Hodges Tomlinson. Oh, uh, Trey Hodges Tomlinson. He I, was one of my favorite players in the. Oh, he would have been CB one. He would have been CB one. He is. Um, for those who don't know, the very tiny cornerback out of TCU who uh plays way bigger than his size. Dude, he might have a chance to play on this team because it one is open season. One of the best deep outside quarterbacks in the NCAA last year. <laughs> he got his hands on the football so much for a guy who I so see eye to eye with. It was remarkable. Um, I think well, for the Rams defense, this is, this is I mean, the, the one thing about the Rams defense last year, uh, coached by Raheem Morris, was that despite the fact that they were, they were really, you know, there was, I wouldn't say a comparable talent deficit, but pretty, you know, they were, they, a lot of these guys did play last year. They were very, very young, very, very injured. I forgot what week Aaron Donald went out. They still actually held up pretty good against the run. Um, yeah. And they ended up finishing the season 12th in DVOA against the run, which is pretty freaking impressive. Again, when you look they at the depth chart. guys who are underrated and they just don't have those guys anymore. Uh, and, games. It's just kind of like, ugh, yeah. Really so the guys you need to, you mentioned Ernest Jones, who's the middle linebacker and is going to wear the green dot for them this year. Um, and then, you know, there's Aaron Donald, but outside it's just so many, I mean, it's just so many young players, so much inexperience. Um, I don't need to do the, a breakdown like they, like the edge rushers. I mean, you're looking at like Byron Young, they drafted this year, Michael Hoyt, who's a converted edge rusher from Brown, who was undrafted. Um, they're super, super small up front, I think, which is really, we'll see what, uh, coach Morris does to compensate for that. Um, and then on the I back like end, Kobe yeah, uh, Kobe Turner, the defensive tackle for Wake Forest. Who they drafted he, this year. He, yeah. I, I like him. And then on the back end, um, you know, they they it's they did bring in a killer Weatherspoon who's probably gonna start immediately because he's like the only guy with yeah. experience. Uh Kobe Durant, who was their uh, slot corner, played pretty well last year. So I know they're really excited about him, get his hands on the football. Jordan Fuller's a guy who looked awesome, six round draft pick as a rookie, regressed, injuries. If he can return to form, that'll help at all. That's about all I have to say about the Rams defense. Uh, All I have my, is Russ, Russ Yeast is the starting free safety. I don't even know who Russ Yeast is. Yeah, I might be the only person on earth who does. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of what makes it so hard to project the Rams, honestly. Like, just it's, it's an outrageously inexperienced defense with one yep. superstar and then an offense that has the upside if the offensive line gels to be competent is how I would put it. So I just, I'd like to see Stafford and Cup stay healthy because Stafford is just watching that deep ball is. Yeah. Mozart. It's just so good. And it's so repeatable. I, I, I struggle to think of other quarterbacks who are that like every part of their body consistent with the deep ball. Yeah. And some guys just have a He's hose and they can kind of rein it in. But it's it's hard to think of other guys who are that consistent with it. So I think just, the Rams want to win. I hope we get to see enough of that. What's that? Do you, they, do you think they want to win this year? Because we know Arizona doesn't. Well, I think they finally have a first-round pick, and I don't think they're going to trade it because they know they're out of the octagon. So I don't know if they want to lose. I, I think they've accepted their reality. 
They're, yeah. they're offloading a lot. They have like $48 million in cap next year. So they're like, all right, well, we can shine the- on. AD Cooper Cup. So I, I was just that I should, probably should have said this at the beginning because it is actually very pertinent to the you know the next year of their two hundred twenty two million in cap one hundred ten million is Stafford Cup and AD. So that's there. Yeah. So that's this, they, they are basically rebuilding minus three very good football players who they can't really move on from yeah. uh, without. And they've been they've been top heavy for a while. Cap gymnastics. It's been a yeah, few years. So. Yeah. It's an interesting situation. All right, let's come back. Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OmahaFull, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, it's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, the Seattle Seahawks do want to win. Whether or not they will win, yes. I think, is um interesting discussion. Uh, some people have them projected for regression, largely on the basis of the fact that Geno Smith had this like crazy breakout year and struggled a little bit down the stretch. I would counter that by saying I think they've made improvements to their roster, notably on the defense, that matter. And they play in the NFC West, so uh, that will also help a lot. Uh, but let's start with the Geno of it all. So uh, I alluded to this. Uh, he did. He was. He had an amazing year by any. I mean, finished sixth in QBR, first in CPO, the completion percentage over expected. Incredible stats on the deep ball, like just astronomical. He finished first in I adjusted say, I completion. The, I mean, I know about the stats, but the deep ball tape was insane. It's beautiful. I mean, he threw like one thing. 
was crazy. Some of the most gorgeous tight window throws of any quarterback in the NFL this season. Um, So, like, this is not, like, it looked good. However, second half of the season, stats and tape, there's some issues. I would say um, an important thing to note is I believe – so some of those issues are really are legit. Uh, there were more interceptions than were intercepted. <laughs> uh, he got away with some stuff. And I think that is kind of part of his game. Like he is just going to push it. I mean, the flip side of those gorgeous tight window throws is he is going to attempt a lot of tight window throws, I think. Um, and and, and I, I, I was watching his interceptions, but I think this applies to just kind of turnover worthy plays in general. When you watch them, a lot of them aren't like a quarterback who's being fooled. They're a quarterback who thinks he can make it a throw that maybe he shouldn't be attempting. Yeah. That's kind of who he is. I would also say, though, I cool. that I believe um, the regression and this certainly statistically, a lot of it had to do with uh, three things. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Um the run game was really inefficient, especially on early drowns. As great as Kenneth yes. Walker was as a big play threat, he had a very bad success rate. He was inconsistent. Uh, so that was a problem, I think, because they were in a lot of third and longs and he was in some pretty adverse situations. I think his skill yeah. players actually let him down a few <laughs> in some pretty big moments. Um, and then yes. the most important thing, I think, is his pass protection really regressed as the year went yes. on. I can't even point the to the number of half times. The season was especially rough. Yeah, and I think that was a major issue. So how do you view Geno Smith, what we saw at the end of the season? How do you view him going into this year? Well, I think he had a really unfortunate start to his NFL career. You know, he, he was in some situations where it wasn't really quarterback friendly. Then his teammate breaks his jaw and he becomes a sort of journeyman and, you know, all these things happen. And, he, you know, the thing with Pete and the whole let Russ, you know, Pete won't let any quarterback cook and blah, you know, all that stuff. I, I've never believed that was true. I mean, he is, I guess, conservative. <coughs> Excuse me. He's conservative in the context of the modern offensive coach, but he's always wanted shot plays. He's always wanted shot plays off of play action. He's always wanted a quarterback who will play within the structure. And if you go outside of structure, you had damn well better succeed. With Wilson, you didn't already always have all of that. The thing about Gino, um, I think this was one of those things like when Kurt Warner wound up with Mike Martz and it just worked. And then he went to the Giants and it didn't work. And then he went to the Cardinals and it did work. And sometimes it's just right place, right time. And maybe he wasn't ready for the NFL. And he's such a leader now. I, this is all to say that based on the tape I saw, this is not a fluke. This is who he is now. And mm-hmm. however long he plays more in the NFL, there was a three years, 105 million. It's a bargain. I, I don't have any doubts about Geno Smith's ability to succeed beyond that one year, which was kind of a rookie year for him. You yeah. know, the Seahawks actually released him a few years ago, brought him back. Um, Russ had the mallet finger, mullet finger, not no, it's Gardner mallet Mitchell, finger, yeah. mullet finger. Uh, um, <laughs> He got to show a little bit, and, you know, I, I've talked to Pete at times about it in the last two years, and I think it just got to the point where, okay, this is a guy I can believe in. Um, Pete loves guys with chips on their shoulders, and he has that. It's not in the Richard Sherman, Doug Baldwin, get in your face kind of thing. It, it's yeah. not that. But he has failed far more than he succeeded. He brings a gravitas to the position 
that I think Pete appreciates. He's he will take chances, but they're not these crazy, risky, kamikaze sort of what are we doing here kind of things. So I think he fits what his coach wants. And you know, well, what about all the deep? Pete's never had a problem throwing deep. Just hit the guy. You know? Yeah. Have it come off the run game. Hit the guy. With that. If they had a problem with, you know, passing more, they wouldn't have taken Jackson Smith and Jimbo with the 20th overall pick. This was not a team that played a lot of 11 personnel, Mina, as you know. Yeah. Uh, they're going to do it now. Yeah. I want to talk about that because um, I thought uh, Shane Waldron also had a really good year. And it kind of, I don't want to say it flew under the radar, yeah. but so we talked so much about Gino because Gino was amazing. It was an amazing story. Um, but, you know, Waldron... Year one, I think we now can see in retrospect, he wasn't able to do everything he wanted to do with Russell Wilson. I think last year, um, the CX had a really interesting offense. Like, you, so you alluded to this, they used amongst the most 12 and 13 personnel in the NFL, even after losing Will Disley, who returns, who's a very underrated uh, tight end because he can actually block. Um, but, yes. you know, he, yeah. uh, uh, Gino was in the gun. He was in empty. He was booting out. They did some fun stuff with the run game. It was cool. Like I, I, I felt like they kind of. Um, it was interesting because Waldron came from McVay, but I think the offense looked. You could see him evolving it in the way that a lot of the McVay tree guys do away from that Rams under center wide zone eleven personnel condensed formation offense to better suit the skill sets of the players. Right. Now they have a different group of players. Uh, they have one of the best one, two, three punches at wide receiver in the NFL. Mm -hmm. To your point, I fully expect them to lean more into 11 personnel. And it's like, how do you solve a problem like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba on the field at the same time? It's such an awesome combination of receivers. When they drafted him, I was so happy because of the fit because he could have ended up on a team where maybe he would be like forced into, you know, they, oh, we really need an X receiver or whatever. But with those two guys in particular, it literally is like if you designed three, you know, those receivers for those roles in a lab, they fit so well together, Doug. The interesting, I mean, Waldron has said we want our receivers to be interchangeable. And when I wrote up Smith and Jigba, the one thing I really wanted, because I think, and he, he obviously missed most of last season. You go back to his 2021 season where he was so prolific and people just say slot, slot, slot. So I really wanted to focus when I watched his tape and I wrote up the um, Zay Flowers was my number one receiver. Smith and Jigba was my number two because I give a big bump hmm. to receivers who have terrible quarterbacks. I don't know if you watch a lot of Boston College State, but oh, <laughs> he was constantly um, having to slow down to <laughs> catch deep the, balls for those who uh, have not had the pleasure okay. of watching this. The tape is like really nice. I, it was like when I watched Kyle. It, yeah, when I had to watch Kyle Pitts, then I had to watch Kyle Trask at the same time. Kind of the same. You know, JSN, the opposite. Um, he, I, Kyle know, Trask, quarterback play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my favorite quarterback. Um, yeah, Kyle Pitts, by the way, might be the Allen Robinson of his era. Get this man a quarterback, please. Um, so when I. When I worked on Smith and Jigba's tape, I really wanted to focus on his success outside. And he is a legitimate outside receiver. The guy who reminded me of right off the bat was Cooper Cup because he has everything but that fifth gear. He is not going to scald you upfield, but you saw it a lot on his Ohio State tape. You've seen it in reps already, you know, from training camp where 
yes, he will not he will not embarrass you thirty yards downfield, but every move he makes, your whole day is just gonna stink if you're covering <laughs> him because he's so good at disguising his intentions and he's so practiced at the exact route angle. He is going to be I mean, obviously DK and Lockett are already there. And Tyler Lockett is maybe the most underrated receiver of the era. But Smith and Jigba is the kind of guy who becomes his quarterback's best friend. Kind yeah. of like an Edelman with Brady or something like that. Um, a Tory Holt with uh, Kurt Warner. Um, all these different guys. Kelsey with Mahomes. Where he, he, I guess the best way I can put it with him is he has a way of creating a mind meld with his quarterback that's yeah. really beneficial. And it doesn't mean he's going to get, you know, 150 targets because I don't think the offense is really going to run that way. Um, but the targets he makes, the targets he gets, he's going to make the most of them. I, I really, I don't know exactly what Seattle's offense is going to look like. They've never had this kind of offense under Pete Carroll. You'd have to go back to Holmgren, really. Um, and even they've never had a one-two three like this. Nothing. A, I, 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 I've never I've, had a one-two three. Lifelong fan, obviously. Uh, you're, you're local. Like, yeah. you know, this is unprecedented. I, I think. Yeah. I live I th- 10 minutes from the stadium and I've never seen it. So there you go. I think Smith and Jigba, it was just a fantastic pick too, because he just kind of solves some of the problems of the offense, as good as it was as a passing attack, did have last year. Uh, this is an offense that got ha- has struggled to get anything out of the slot now for several years. Some draft picks have gone sideways. Yep. Tyler Lockett, you know, he plays both uh, Y and Z in this offense. But, like, I think Smith and Juba is so great for this offense, uh, not only because of how he compromises defenses, which we can get to, and how, I mean, God, the run game is just going to be wide open for these backs. But yeah. I also think he solves some of the specific well, problems. Well, these backs, we need to get to that. We'll get to the backs. We'll get to the backs. Yeah. I think he solves some of the problems yeah. that the offense, as good as it was last year, throwing the ball did have. Um, you know, they haven't been able to get production out of the slot for a couple years now. Uh, Tyler Lockett moves inside right. now, but like they, that has been a problem. They rank near the bottom of the NFL in yards after the catch. Some of that has to do with uh, the nature of the passing attack and how they target Metcalf and Lockett in particular. But I also think like, you know, you got the best, you like, you got a yak guy now. And this is something that really, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's so good with the ball in his hands, Smith and Jigba. And there's going to be so much space because yeah. of the other two wide receivers. But the other thing I think that this really important is something I've just been thinking about um, this week as I've been thinking about this offense is they were really bad in the red zone. Like, like, Worst amongst the worst in the NFL. Like when you look at the list of the teams around them, it's like really ugly. And they had a balanced attack. I think we're like 15th in run pass ratio in the red zone. Uh, Some of that was, I think, just horrible luck with DK. That'll probably regress. But when I think about JSN and his skill set, when I think about his hands, best hands, in my opinion, in the class, the shiftiness and route running underneath which again is not really something that they've had and then doug you you, you mentioned cup his That's strength his strength like this dude will get that extra yard seattle might actually run a successful screen in 2020 it might actually happen with jackson smith and Jugba. and so i just think there's a real opportunity for this offense to look better purely because they won't be one of the worst offenses in the low red zone in the entire nfl Well, 
Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I think when you were talking about the red zone success and what uh, Smith and Jibba can bring to it, one thing that has really been true throughout the Pete Carroll era and from Jeremy Bates through Brian Schottenheimer and even into Waldron's early time, they have never been really complex in their route concepts and they really haven't been complex in their route combinations. And when you look at red zone success, a lot of that is picks and rubs yeah. and stacks and bunches and motion. And they were much better. Mo- they were much more uh, prevalent and much more effective motion team last year. I was glad to finally see that because it's like, okay, pull yourselves out in 1973 guys. Let's, let's get into the modern era. Um, Smith and Jigba allows them. I can see Waldron with the, you know, the grease pens. It's like, Oh my God, I can do so many things now with these combos. Yes. Um, and McVeigh with his, you know, double slants in the red zone and, and all the stacks he would use and his own versions of, of, of picks and rubs is one of the more effective red zone pass designers in the NFL. So, and I think this is also true of Seattle's defense, which we'll get to. I think there were things that Waldron and Clint Hurt wanted to do last year. They didn't just really didn't have the personnel to do. They also, by the way, we're talking about protection. They were the first team since the 2009 Jaguars to start two offensive tackles as rookies all the way through the season. Eugene Who should be better? It hasn't happened in a while. And there Who are should be better this year? And they both played really well. Cross, yeah. yeah. Lucas was like, yeah, Lucas is a you know pancake That's machine. A, shocked and, me. Uh, fellow metal fan, so I love him. And uh, Cross, you know, he got his lunch eaten a little bit late in the season, but I, I think they're both very good players. So that, I, I take that into account. But I look at what Smith and Jigba allows you to do. And, of course, Ohio State's receivers, it's like, okay, top five pick, top five pick, top five pick. Yeah. But the ways in which Smith and Jigba is able to exploit that underneath space, and the strength isn't just after the catch. It's how he is – how he makes contested catches. So you can run these things where one guy is clearing it out, one guy, you know, or or whatever. And he's the one who has to, you know, not have the safety trail him, but leverage the safety off his match to get open in a short space. And Gino will learn to time that with him specifically. Okay, here's your rate of speed. And now I got it. Once that happens and those combos start to come, which I think they will, I think it gets really interesting. And as I said, those combos, the, the, the geometry of the routes, it becomes incredibly important in the red zone. So are you saying you look at the, I... like the two touchdowns that Chiefs scored against the Eagles where it was follow motion both ways. I mean, that kind of stuff, they, they haven't. I've never run, seen Seattle. But yeah. I think now they can. The whole time you were talking about they've just not been a really. I was just thinking about the. the, uh, I was just thinking about him. What if what if Jackson Smith and Jigo was at the goal line in Super Bowl Forty Nine instead of Colonel Lacat getting bodied? Uh, We don't have to talk about that. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm really pumped about him. I'm really excited to see what Waldron does with this group. Um, We don't really need to get the backs are both hurt right now, which is a little alarming, but uh, I do really like Zach Charbonnet. I've talked about him a little bit. I think I actually think he can be a little bit more efficient running the football, frankly, than Walker was unless Walker takes a step in that regard. But I also think just to kind of put a bow on the offense where we get to the defense, because we're a little bit long here. I think they're going to run into um, pretty favorable looks. And I think that's going to help too. I mean, I I just think when you have these three, receivers on the field and you're spreading things out and you've got Geno Smith just airing it out. 
it should be pretty easy to run the football. And Pete Carroll will will take those light boxes if you give it to him. So I'm very optimistic about this offense. Well, yeah, to put a bow on this, the offense with the backs, I I think – if you if you were disappointed by Walker's rookie season, I think you have to understand what he is. My comp for him was Melvin Gordon. He's a slasher. He's a really good player for what he does. And he actually made some really nice um, yards after contact plays in heavy boxes, against heavy boxes. But that's not really who he is. He's not a blocker to any great degree. He's not a receiver to any great degree. He is a guy who, if you want to run fast inside zone, a stretch play, some kind of you know, this or that OZ. Yeah, he's great. Charbonnet, um, you know, maybe it's the the wide running style of the grippy feet of the number 24. It didn't take me long. Oh, he's, and this is way before Seattle took him. Like he's kind of a Marshall Lynch light. He, he is that type yeah. of player. So they he, took he him. Is... Like, okay. The only thing they have to change is the number because he ain't wearing 24. Other than that, he's kind of that guy. Not, and I'm not comparing him to Marshawn at his peak. Yeah. I mean, it's not. I think swings and screens and stuff like that, the basic running back passes I heard about, you know, I saw some weird reps on release routes and things like that, but I, no. no, 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 I'm, he's a check down guy, but he's a good check down guy and he's got good hands and he's reliable and he can do like the easy running back stuff. And he's got great yeah. contact balance. When I really, I, like I, I wouldn't have made the pick, but he was one, honestly, I think my third favorite back in the class. So, um, okay. So yeah. CX offense, yeah. I think we are both about being optimistic about the offense, the defense. Sure. I am still kind of trying to work through what I expect for this defense because um, it's, it's really, it's a fascinating build, right? Because everybody expected them to go out mm-hmm. and try to bolster pass rush in the draft. Instead, take Devin Witherspoon, number five. Suddenly you have like a backlog at corner at slash safety mm-hmm. secondary, I think mm-hmm. has the potential to be extremely good. All the camp reports suggest that they've got different it's guys crazy. playing multiple yeah. positions. Suddenly Kobe Bryant's a safety. Devin Witherspoon plays inside outside. Michael Jackson, who was like surprisingly good last year is still in the mix. Safety wise, you bring in Julian Love, who I think is a really underrated free safety uh, in a world where Jamal yes. Adams is healthy. Yes. Then you suddenly have two guys in him and Diggs who can uh, cover, play, you know, play in the back end, play too high cover, and suddenly you can unlock Jamal Adams again to do other things. All of that is really cool. My question is, okay, what about the defensive line? Like, what about the front <laughs> seven? How do we feel about this front seven? Yeah. Um, and I don't know, man. Like, it's 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 it was a huge. It's I mean, it's it's different. run defense killed this team last year. He killed them. It lost them multiple mm-hmm. games. Uh, so I guess there's two questions, run defense and rushing the passer. Let's start with run defense. Do you think that they can have a better run defense than they did last year um, based on schematic changes or personnel that they've added? Well, I like Jared Reed at nose. He's a lighter nose, but he's, he, he can play that role. Um, the thing about Draymond Jones, when they're running jet fronts, those third and long things where it's like everyone, all four guys are outside of the guards, like the, the tackles are on the guards outside shoulder. Um, he's not an, he's more of a hybrid guy. He's not, I mean, he's, I think, bigger than Michael Bennett, but sort of that role. Maybe not to Bennett's level of effectiveness, because I, I will argue to my dying day that there was a two year period where Michael Bennett was about as good as JJ Watt inside, outside, like historically great. 
Uh, can I tell a quick story about uh, Super Bowl Forty Nine Media Day <laughs> when I talked to the Patriots offensive line coach at the time, uh, Dave DeGaliemo, and I asked him about Michael Bennett. And uh, I know you've seen the highlight where they're like, "Someone's got to block him." So I asked Dave DeGaliemo about Michael Bennett. Pause. Long pause. <sighs> Deep sigh. He looked me straight in the eye and said, "He's Reggie White." Jeez. And I went, "Okay." Fell that away. So Draymond Jones can do it inside outside. Yeah, the the the, the defensive ta- interior defensive lineman. Um, I'm not sure how they reconcile that. Um, I think the pass rush. It, Jones will play some outside. I think they may put him more inside by necessity. Uh, Daryl Taylor, you're starting to see it. Um, Nwosu, great pick. Great, great, great pickup. Awesome they, player. You know, One of their best him. free agent signings um, in the last five years. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Boy Mafe, no problem there. And I'm, um, oh my God, the guy from Auburn. Why am I? Oh, Derek Hall is the guy they drafted this year. Thank you. Yeah. Um, He's an interesting guy because his, his, like, I know football outsiders used to do speed score. His speed score, just from his tape and his measurables, are nuts. Um, that guy comes shot out of a cannon on every play. So I think their pass rush, I think they're going to rotate. It won't be like Bennett and Averill where they're just out yeah. there all the time. But I think the rotation of edge defenders is fine. And I think people can be pleasantly surprised by that. I have absolutely no clue what they're doing inside. I mean, again, Jaron Reed, I like better as a three or a four eye. I think they're, I think with that, you know, and I talked to both Pete and John at the Combine, and I knew based on what they said and what happened to Jalen Carter at the Combine, um, I knew they weren't going to take him. So do you take a lesser guy later in the whatever? Um, and there are only so many holes you can fill. So I think the the IDL thing is a problem. Um, you know, with linebackers, I, I love the return of Bobby. Jordan Brooks, uh, I don't know, um, went healthy, I guess, Okay. But I think what they're trying to do, and I think what they've done in the back seven to a degree is they have mitigated the idea of what if we don't have Jordan Brooks or Jamal Adams for a considerable length of time? I yeah. think the back seven will be okay without them. if they, And if they do come back, then maybe Jordan Brooks can work on some of his own pursuit issues. Maybe Adams can be the death backer because really love is far better as that deep third guy. He's, and he's Quandre Diggs is the safety, best deep yeah. third safety in the NFL. I will burn no argument. I actually think if Jamal yeah. Adams is healthy, he does solve Devin some Lewis of these problems. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. Just in terms um, of, I like um, him as that kind of death backer overhang. Getting role. after the quarterback and, and, and you know, I, as a blitzer. They were so bad blitzing last year. They barely blitzed, yeah. but they were bad at it. Yeah. But I think him returning can help. The idea has regard. always been, like, yeah. The idea with Adams is always we're going to move him around. He's going to be this variable chess piece. You'll never know where he'll be. Yeah. And that's fine until you actually have to do it. And I, I, when we talk about the Cardinals, we're going to talk about the three linebackers they have where now one's a slot corner and who the heck knows what's going on with the other two guys. Um mm. Those ideas are always great in theory. In practice, oh, we're going to move this guy all over the place. There, there are a lot of thorns with that. There's a lot of caveat info that can happen. But so, I think overall, outside of the defensive line thing, I, I think they set themselves up nicely where if Brooks is back and he can improve a few things and if Adams is back and he becomes that whatever they want him to be, 
then that defense becomes officially feisty. But even without them, and I don't know what their injury situations are right now, even without them for any length of time, um, and you know, we want everyone to be healthy, sure. But if they don't have them, those two guys, I think they'll be okay. I would run the ball on this team still. Uh I, I, I will say, um, yeah. you, you talked about Draymond Jones and his inside outside versatility. That was real. When I jumped at when I watched him not too long ago, uh, in Denver, I was so impressed by him as an edge rusher. He's so much more, I, I guess I always thought of him as just being a bull rusher. Uh, but he actually like, he's got a pretty yeah. nice arsenal of moves. He's like a pretty, I would describe him as an ascendant pass rusher. And so, I could see a world yes. where the combination of him and Nwosu, who, you know, isn't one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, but I would put in that, you know, that second tier, that like 10 to 20 range or whatever. It's a pretty nice group combined with all the young guys. You can just kind of throw at the problem and see who emerges as the winner. I, so I am less worried about the pass the rush way, being better than I am uh, than right. I'm worried about the run defense being better because I don't see solves. <laughs> and, uh, we actually, uh, on NFL Live last week, uh, our, I think it was Graziano said that Clint Hurt alluded to the structure of the defense being uh, an issue that caused some problems with run defense. You know, the fact that they tried to yep. transition to this more kind of Fangio-like defense and, and with uh, the defensive line kind of playing a little bit more reactively. I don't know how true that is, frankly. I mean, I think there are some things structurally and particularly up front that maybe can help them. But I, I, I personally think it's more of a talent issue. Uh, and I just don't think, I think that there's just, there's just some pretty gaping holes in the front seven when it comes to run defense, well, but yeah, look, it'd rather be worse at run defense. The than is, defense. Yeah. yeah. The thing is true. Um, and that's one of the things about the Fangio Staley stuff that people sacrifice is, okay, we stink against the run. doesn't matter because we're really good against the pass. Um, you can, even if they ran five man fronts more, which I think they should, and I, I know they've tried for a long time. Yeah, even have, if they do that, they, they don't have a Jordan Davis or a Javon Hargrave or someone. It, it's, it's a really, not even, not even close. Yeah. So even if they try to spread it out and do it that way, well, okay. It's, it's a different kind of leaky with one more guy. So I don't know, you know, if they pick someone up like a, I mean, I think Linval Joseph is still on the market. He played pretty well for the Eagles. He looked pretty good. I'd I'd look at someone like that who I'm not expecting him to get any more than five pressures. I want him to stand there and eat people for lunch. That's all you need to do, Linval. Go get that guy. Um, One thing I you know, – If they yeah. could just get a little bulkier in their, in a front four or front five, I'd feel a little bit better about it. One thing I do think that they'll be better at in pass defense, um, you know, they actually – it's funny. They're interesting – one of the scenes where, like, they kind of tell, like, a cool or a very – clear statistical story which is they actually rank third in opposing qbr and you see that and you're like wait what like the past defense wasn't that great when you look at the catch-all numbers like dvo and epa mm-hmm. well what that usually means is uh you're getting diced up underneath and uh they rank 31st in yards after the catch for reception um so they were really really good against deep passes they weren't giving up many explosive plays 
they were a lot less good against short passes. And I think that's something that they can really improve right. at this season. Um, you know, we talked about Love, who I think is really good in that regard. Uh, I also think Devin Witherspoon is a fantastic tackler. And I think him coming in and suddenly everyone moving CB slots. CB1. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah. So I'm excited. CB1, I think it, wasn't, it wasn't particularly close. Okay. Yeah. Let's Witherspoon wrap was my with. CB1 and it, was, it was not close. It was the, not close. Um, the enigmatic one, one quick thing about Witherspoon. One quick thing about Witherspoon before we move to the with the ex- expansion team in Arizona. Um, usually, when you get to about six feet, that's when those smaller, more angular receivers start to drive you nuts as a cornerback. Witherspoon has the aggression of a six foot one ninety corner. He's got the foot movement of a Clark Phillips, yeah, like a five nine guy. It's a very odd group of skills. And it's rare. And I think it makes him special. Well, and I think also when you hear in camp, like, oh, he's playing in the slot. He's playing outside. He is a matchup weapon because of that versatility. He is a guy who, if you're playing a team with an an incredibly good slot receiver, let's say you're playing Dallas and you want, you can put him on CD in the slot. You know what I mean? Like you can move him around because his skill set is so he, – he really is really, really balanced. He's such an all-around player. I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with him. Um, well, Carl, Carl Scott, who's their pass defense guy. Wilson didn't play a lot of slot in college, but he was really good at it. So he's already done that. All right. The Cardinals. Um, so the Cardinals are rebuilding. They're making no secret about it. Uh, I But, however, the rebuild – comes with a complication, which is uh, Kyler Murray injured his ACL. He got surgery in January. He wants to come back this season, and they should want him to come back because either he can come back and be good and look like he did in 2020, and then suddenly they have awesome draft picks and they have their quarterback in the building, and that's a great situation. Or if he comes back, they can trade him. And in that case, they would also want him to play pretty well, or at least come back and, and be a reasonable trade asset. Um, I think when he comes back is a total mystery and question and a very difficult problem for this. And I think uh, how long he plays is again, it's all very complicated because this is a team with such um, different incentives from the rest of the NFL. It's not like we want to come back and play, you know, and, and push it and, Right. They know they're not competing. Um, so I guess, like, let's start with the Kyler of it all, because otherwise this team is not particularly very interesting or, or good. Um, what do you think is, like, the best outcome for them? It's, it's kind of like a philosophical – it's like it, – it, it's complicated. It also depends on how you look at the quarterbacks next year, all of that, you know. So, Yeah. Well, one question is, you know, can the Texans ascend or that, or do the Cardinals have the first two picks in the draft? I did a mock like a month and a half ago, and I got a Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> that was pretty – I will say one thing about the Cardinals. They have a better offensive line than the Rams. DJ Humphreys is massively underrated. I like Paris Johnson. Will Hernandez had a really good – their right guard, he had a really good season. I, mean, I know with the Giants, he was up and down. They have a better offensive line than the Rams. So that I mean that's the center is Shelte Froholt in decent shape there. <laughs> Everywhere else, yeah. Uh, I mean, when your best edge rusher is L.J. Collier, 
I don't know. And again, we got the the you know, Zayvon Collins, Kazir White, and all of a sudden Isaiah. They're moving them. The slot corner and okay. No, no, no. So Zayvon, they, Zayvon's going to rush off the edge, and uh, Isaiah Simmons is now a safety. Yeah. <laughs> He's the latest on it. But no, yeah. Kyle, we're ta- no. I want. I want I've heard Kyler. Slot and I've heard safety. So I don't know. What what do you want out of Kyler? This okay, so forget Kyler. the team. We don't have to talk about the team. This is no point in talking about this team. Okay, okay. I want the randomness to stop. I want him to go back to where he was a couple of years ago when he was playing within structure. You know, every mobile quarterback has this kind of coiled spring in his game. And it can be an absolute force multiplier or it can be the flaw that kills everything. And Kyler, you know, he's got more randomness in his game than I would like. And I, you know, I'm not... I've never been anyone who thinks you have to be a, a mobile statue and say, you know, and people say, well, on third and nine, you have to throw from a pocket. No, you don't. You have to complete a 10 yard pass or more. That's all you have to do. I don't care how you do it. Um, there is a degree of randomness to Murray's game that I thought he solved in 2021. Man, last year it was really bad. They, he had, he threw two picks against the Vikings for whom, vanilla would have been a spicier defensive flavor. And every time they threw cover six, his head exploded. I do not expect this from a quarterback with his experience. He's better than this. He's better than how he played last. And yeah, I know the line was not great. And, you know, the targets were not okay. Sure. But I'm not looking at the fact that Marquise Brown was, you know, always covered. I don't, I, I try to separate the quarterback from his environment. And what I saw with Murray was a lot of just, schoolyard ball i mean yeah and he's not he's been better than that so short answer i'm trying to make this a short answer for murray's professional future in arizona or anywhere else man i want you to stop the randomness i want you to focus on what makes you great and eliminate all the other crap all this running around doing god knows what the play falls out of your head and i don't even know what you're doing so eliminate the randomness is what I'd like to see from him. What I find so interesting about this season for Kyler is not only that he could play himself into keeping a job, he could play himself into getting traded. It's like a total you know, cluster. He is also now being paired with an offensive coordinator who is not only the polar opposite from Cliff Kingsbury – but calls an offense that we have not seen Kyler Murray play in. So they, they bring in, for those who don't know, they hired Drew Petzing, who's from Cleveland, who's from, you know, worked with Kevin Stefanski there. And uh, it's not just hypo- like hypothetical. He said what he wants to do. They want to run the ball. They want to I mean, they want to do Cleveland stuff. Under center, play action, yeah. wide zone, two tight ends on the field. None of that is uh, what we've seen both in college and in the NFL with Kyler Murray. And it's kind of a fascinating experiment, Doug, because I've, 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 I've tried to ponder, okay, like Kyler understand, you know, certain short quarterbacks that can help in certain ways, maybe how will he look throwing on the run, you know, booting out. Like it's just, um, it's going to be like a real, a really dramatic shift for him as a quarterback, not just, yes, this, you know, the situation, but the actual structure of the offense is so different. 
He'll probably see more 12 personnel in his first game this year than he did in <laughs> yeah. all of his time with Cliff. Yes. They were, the, they were by far the heaviest 10 personnel team in the league. <clears throat> and you wonder if that won't be a balm for him. Like he doesn't have to do everything. I think, I, I you know, it, hmm. what happens when you're, your processing mentally starts to lag is you speed up physically. And I think I saw that with him. And there was, there were points where, do you think you have to do everything? Is that, is that, that sort of Russell Wilsonitis? I would like to see where boot boot helps shorter quarterbacks because if yeah. you're alignment around the move, then they sort of, you know, it's like a, it's blinds, you know, fanning open. Uh, that was true for breeze throughout his whole career for, for Russ, you know, you, you get him on the move. And all of a sudden, those little lanes start to open. You can see things more clearly. So I like that. I like the, you know, the two and three tight end stuff. I think not that Stefanski has ever had anyone who could sort of successfully implement it over time. Um, But I wonder if that, if more of a structured offense might be a balm for Murray to just calm him down. Again, this is not the the running around crazy. He's better than this. He's shown it. He's shown it over multiple games. This is so. When I say regression, it was just odd. Yeah, I'd never really seen him that frantic before. When he came, even in college, I'd never seen. So I don't know. I don't know what the tipping point was. I don't know where where things sort of broke apart. But I saw a quarterback in an offense that he couldn't trust, and that's when you start to just you know yolo. I wouldn't have trusted him either. <laughs> in his defense, yeah, I think success for the Cardinals this season is losing games <laughs> but kyler mm-hmm. looks good he looks uh, uh, the, the best outcome for them is that he looks so good that they have a difficult decision whether they decide to move on mm-hmm. and, and they find a trade partner and they go with williams or whether they decide to stay with murray it doesn't matter what you want is for it to be tough you don't want you know what i mean like that would be the best possible outcome because then you either keep him or trade him for a decent return and then beyond that, I think it's just the young players flashing. Obviously, Paris Johnson, it, you know, um, Marquise Brown plays good enough to merit an extension would be something you want. Um, defensively, maybe one of these Avon Collins, Isaiah Simmons experiments <laughs> works out uh, their their moves. Uh, you know, Buda Baker. I like that. They, I, I will say I like that they kept Buda. And that they they rewarded him because I think when you go through rebuilds like this, Doug, you need a guy, you know, like when you're a rebuilding team Mm -hmm. and everyone knows you're a rebuilding team, you need a dude, you need a guy who is good, who is homegrown, who's been there. And I think he was so obviously the one player uh, on the team. So I think it was the right decision by the new administration to pay him and keep him in the building. Yeah, a very good player. And sometimes, like you said, you, I don't know if it was an overpay, but you have to invest in that. Uh, Jalen Thompson, kind of an underrated safety, go Cougs. Um, so, they, I mean, they have a couple pieces, but Marco it's just it's a rough roster. It's 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 just a tough It's, roster. I mean, Edge is I think just... the best scenario – oh, it's bad. I think the best case scenario for the Cardinals is Kyler Murray, I mean, it has to be binary. He has to absolutely suck to the point where it's obvious, but really it's, it, it's like he has to be good enough to either make that a hard decision. Ideally, if I'm uh, money oh, asked for, I, I really want to talk to my coaches. Like what if, 
what if Kyler isn't the guy you want? Yeah. What if you're not convinced that he's the guy? What if you want, whether it's Drake, May, Caleb, William, whoever. Uh, we go into free agency. We go into the trade market next year. What if Kyler Murray isn't the guy you want? I am never sticking a coach with a quarterback he doesn't want. What yeah, if that's but, a discussion? But why are you have? choosing these coaches? They're not, this isn't, like, I wouldn't, I hear you, but I'm also not like, what have Jonathan I mean, yeah, Gannon but, slash Drew Petsing done to make me be like, yeah, okay, if they don't want him, let's, I don't sure. know. I think, but I think your no. point about the binary thing is, is really important because the worst case scenario is that he comes back and he looks like, I don't know, the 17th or something best quarterback in the NFL. And then suddenly it's like, ah, oh, we can he's get okay. the, you know, he's okay. Then we can't train him for much. It's a giant cap hit, you know, whatever. So either I, I, I think it would almost be better. You're right. If he's, if he sucks and then they could, you know, lose games or if he's good and then you have a tough decision, but it's a very interesting team. I think that I, you know, Cardinals fans, if you're still listening and um, you're not, angry because we didn't do deep analysis of this roster. Uh, I have really liked how they have approached the off season. Like I actually going from the draft, which I thought they handled brilliantly to the, the Baker payday, which I alluded to. I think this is a team. This is an, uh, a, a front office that cleaned house the right way. So it's going to be a really fascinating season. And then you have an, you have an amazing draft to look forward to. Um, so in some, yeah, in some, we do we think uh, Niners, Seahawks, Rams, Cardinals? We feel good about that. Yeah, I God, the Niners just have too much talent. I think this. I think there will be points in the season where the Seahawks are a better team, but I, I and I think they're they're a team. I mean, if everything clicks at a certain point, it would be like the seven and nine team with the beast quake, and all of a sudden, you're like they beat the defending Super Bowl champions and Marshawn Lynch had the greatest run of all time, and they caused an earthquake. Um. You know, it, it, could they pull off a run? As the, yeah, I think the Niners are one, the Seahawks are one A, uh, Rams are three, Cardinals four, and the Cardinals are just they're like the you know, that's the obvious rebuild. You made a good point about do the Rams want to lose? How convicted are they that this is an actual rebuild? I don't know. It's they're very they got a couple interesting. Of, you know, McVay, they're alpha personalities. They don't want to lose. They don't accept losing even when it happens. So I don't know. It's a confusing team. Uh, yeah, I think Seattle's offense could be awesome, but that Niners defense is just too ridiculous, and they're just too balanced. Yep. Um, all right, Doug. Well, thank you Shanahan, so much. I mean, uh, I, yeah, <laughs> it's Kyle Shanahan. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Last, it's last Shanahan, scene, yes. absolutely tormenting the hell out of the Seahawks defense. So I, it's hard for me to get that out of my mind. Uh, mm. I really appreciate you, though, coming on and helping me make sense of a very confusing and interesting division. Um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Thanks again. Yeah.